We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, as always, Jack Manuel. Jack, how are we doing? Very well, Nick. We are in the doldrums of the season, of the off-season, mind you, but we've still got two pages on this Google Doc of Nets stuff. That is how I've called us, I call us Summer League sickos. We're off-season sickos. Yep, we just need Nets content nonstop, but we got pretty big news in terms of the schedule dropping and a lot of big matchups we're going to discuss. But as always, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Jack, where do you want to start? I mean, we'll go with the the schedule drop, Nick, and it was cool to see um, Nets Daily now guy Matt Brooks being like Vosh for the for yeah. the Nets world. So that was a that was a good bit of fun. But you know, the Nets in the national schedule games, the, the the strength of schedule, all those sort of things we're gonna want to jump into. But what I guess stuck out for you before we sort of break this down bit by bit? Yeah, I think, you know, opening night, which we already kind of talked about in the last show, and then just Nets versus Lakers on Christmas Day. But then also, like, that opening stretch for the Nets. Like, there's a couple tough matchups that they kind of got in there to kind of warm them up for the season. Then also, you know, Christmas kind of kicks off, like, a West Coast trip that there's a couple tough matchups. So, honestly, that's what I'm intrigued by. But also, I know not to get too hyped about it because, like, who knows who's actually going to play in these games and all those things. But it's kind of exciting to talk about. At the end of the day, like, I think the the most exciting matchup in the NBA and for Nets fans is Nets versus Lakers on Christmas Day. Like, that's just it. It is. And but I'm seeing spaces aplenty about, you know, Nets versus Lakers. Uh, I think it was just right Cole, you know, the verified dude, Lakers fan on Twitter, sort of talking about, you know, Millsap for about 20 minutes. And, I mean, we'll get to a little bit of Millsap news yeah. uh, as well ourselves. But, you know, this is – the opening week obviously is gargantuan. And it's it, – the Nets are big time, you know. And, yeah. and it's begun as soon as the the uh, the clean sweep did happen. And, and now the Nets are, you know, obviously the second most uh, national TV games as well. You know, the homestand <clears> – <throat> If I to talk, let's talk about I guess the homestand a little bit, Nick. So it's a six-game homestand, their longest of the season. So do you prefer that it's happening early on, or do you would you prefer to have that sort of easier stretch to to finish the season? And uh, mind you, they are going to host the Wizards, Heat, Pacers, Pistons, and the Hawks in an 11-day span before going on the road. And obviously, their home opener will be against the Charlotte Hornets on Sunday, October 24. Yeah, I think really I like this because it gives you an opportunity to catch some real rhythm early in the season. Obviously, this team hasn't logged a ton of minutes together still. Like the big three haven't logged a ton of minutes. It'll be interesting to see how they translate from training camp into the regular season. And also, like, they're starting the season with elite competition with Bucks and Sixers. And then they get kind of a little bit lesser in terms of Hornets, Wizards. You know, Heat's pretty good. Pacers pretty talented. Not expecting a ton from the Pistons. And the Hawks obviously, you know, had a big season last year. So it's like a nice combination on that homestand of like tougher competition in some matchups, but also easier competition where, you know, maybe they could get a load management day in or something like that. And also, just like I said, you want to see things like start to click and you get some bad defenses in early. So that could kind of allow the offense to really start flowing and guys start the season hot from three. 
Yeah, I mean, the overreactions one way or another about how the best teams start, including the Brooklyn Nets, if they go 6-0, and it's only going to solidify their championship status even more. If they go 3-3, three and three, it's going to be like, and they lose to the Pacers or the Pistons. It's just like, well, they can't win the championship anymore. Yeah. It will get the old narratives of, you know, chemistry issues, coaching issues, you know, uh, the Bulls, they have one ball, all that BS that we heard, you know, in the early points of last season. So I'm intrigued to see how this does go, Nick, because I... We, I tend to be, a, I know I'm not sure about you, but I tend to be a prisoner of the moment too much because well, we, we, we recapped, I know that you did with, with, some, with some guests as well when I wasn't available, but 90-something games last year, and we've already done it for five as well with the Summer League, so we're getting a bit of a head start, but it's going to be fascinating to see how the Nets do start it. I'm intrigued to see whether it's a, a positive that, you know, you sort of get some reps in early, and obviously there is a tough stretch because, you know, you've got the... Um, the opening game night in Milwaukee and Philadelphia, two of the best, if not the best, uh, contenders in the Eastern Conference. And then you, know, you get a little bit of rhythm from that. So I, I like the sort of build-up uh, and the first sort of you know couple of weeks before the Nets do hit the road because there are some tough road trips here and there, which we'll uh, get stuck into a little bit. But in terms of uh, all of it putting it together, Nick, how do you, where do you predict the Nets will be after, say, like the first, I don't know, eight or ten games. And I'll, 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 I'll ring them off for, for those playing along at home as well. So the Nets start the year, obviously, at Milwaukee. Uh, then they go to Philadelphia. Then it's the uh, all these are uh, home games. They've got Charlotte as their third game. Washington is their fourth game. Miami is their fifth game. Indiana is their sixth game. Detroit is their seventh game. Atlanta at their as their eighth game. Those are all at home. And then two games, uh, Detroit at Detroit, and then Toronto at Toronto. If you were to give me a prediction, 8-2, and 9-1, and 10-0, 1-9, Nick, I'm throwing it right at you right now as of, what is it, August 24 in, in Australia at 9.49 a.m. Give me a prediction, mate, and, and this is set in stone. You're putting money on it. It's going to the bank locked in. All right, so we're assuming everybody is healthy, so that's one thing. Um, if everyone's healthy, I think the Nets like really want to set the tone to start the season. Like they are upset about the way things ended. You heard it from Blake Griffin, you know, Bruce Brown, all the guys that came back, Kevin Durant even. So honestly, I think like eight and two or nine and one is a realistic expectation. And I think there's pressure on this team to have a really good regular season. It's not that it's necessary, but when you have this much talent, it just kind of something that comes along with it. So like, I think we got the over and under, which we'll probably talk about later is around yep. 55 and a half games. Like, you got to start hot and like you got to take advantage of a lot of these matchups because there's going to be games that you lose from load management or different different things across the season. And I think the Nets probably want to have the best record in the league. I'm not sure that it really truly matters because load management is more important, but I think they definitely want to kick off the season and beat the Bucks and the Sixers. Well, if you're looking at last year, Nick, the Nets were 48 and 24, and what we had eight games of the the big three together, yep. and th their regular season they were coasting. So yep. you would expect, if you forecast those 72 games to 82 games or another 10 wins, another 5-10 wins, it's about what the, the over-under is now, which will you know, give our predictions and stuff going forward. But I'm with you. I, I, when I sort of saw it, and as I was sort of going through it, chatting through it with you, um, I thought 8-2. and two. But the Nets are, every team is, you know, liable to, you know, giving up one or two here or there, yep. not being totally on. You know, the, the old weekend Nets, is there a 12 p.m. game there or something where, you know, the the boys are having a bit of fun in New York. You know, KD's new uh, marijuana, legal marijuana venture. Is there, there's something happening there. And, you know, James Harden. You Hans, have the early back-to-back, -to -back too, which I could see them resting against the Wizards, even though it's Spencer Dinwiddie's homecoming. Just be like, all right, you know, KD takes his game off or Kyrie or somebody or both. The disrespect to Spencer Dinwiddie already <laughs> Steve Nash or Coach Coach Faye here. But no, I think that you want to get up to a good start. You want to build momentum. You want to build championship habits, all those little things. But as I've sort of said in relation to just the, the regular season overall, and I think so many other people echo these sentiments, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So yep. you know, the Nets might not go on a 27-game winning streak. They might not be the Atlanta Hawks in, in seasons of past, but I think that they're going to be good enough. And as long as we see the, the nucleus of, of quality basketball on both ends of the floor, chemistry, guys you know, assimilating into their roles, you know, being able to, you know, I think that for me, what I'll be looking for in those 10 games, Nick, is, you know, what the rotation is. And yeah. 
what are we seeing from the bench? What are we seeing from lineups? What are we seeing from Steve Nash? What is the the principles of the defense and offense? What are the changes that have been instituted in the offseason now that this roster is somewhat different at the very least? Obviously, <clears throat> losing Jeff Green, you know, what is James Johnson's role going to be like? What is Paddy Mills' role going to be like? Do we see any of the rooks? So I think the opening 10 games, we won't be able to make wide declarations, but I think we'll be able to see a few things. And if we're looking back to last year's regular season, the the philosophy that Steve Nash you know held true for all 72 games was we're going to use this to experiment and form what we need to form and, and get what we need to get right by the end of the season. We're going to throw different lineups out here. You know, we might see Clax and Blake Griffin play some lineups here. They were obviously great last year in a lot of their lineups. So I think that those principles should still remain true. But the pressure is now ramped up because yep. the expectation, if anything, has only ramped up even further too. I think another interesting thing too is how much does Steve Nash play his guys early in the season? We saw him really give them big minutes, and I'm talking in terms of James Harden, Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant. You want to keep those minutes low, and if all three are healthy, it should be easier to stagger them. And hopefully, you know, a guy like Patty Mills can come in, fill some of that role too. You know, if Cam Thomas is in there, that gives you a little scoring punch. So I'm intrigued to see how Nash manages a minutes this season. Given that, you know, you could look at some of the injuries and say, you know, maybe James Harden played too many minutes, and that's why his hamstrings acted up, you know, around the postseason. You know, obviously he came off the hamstring injury at the end of the regular season, maybe didn't get enough rest. So just something to keep an eye on. And I don't think you can necessarily make like you said big takes from the first 10 games but you can kind of start to get an idea of what's going on definitely and i guess we'll sort of go from you know the, the opening sort of eight to ten games to the next stretch which after that long six game homestand the nets go on a, on a bit of a long road trip and it's not really a west coast one this is you know i'm looking at nba.com and their breakdown schedule so obviously as i mentioned detroit and toronto then it's chicago orlando new orleans and okc and that all happens in the space uh, of between November 5 and 14. Uh, and the Raptors and Bulls is a back-to-back. So it's not necessarily a completely arduous road trip. It's not a, you know, the five, six-hour flight from, from east to west. But what do you think of this little road trip here, Nick? And I guess the way that I think about road trips a lot of the time is that's probably where you build a lot of chemistry as well off the court on those plane rides and such. Yeah, I'm sure Paddy Mills and we'll be having a lot of fun conversations with KD, sharing some stories here and there as well with Kyrie as well, sharing about that Aussie heritage. Uh, <laughs> but in all seriousness, you know, what, what are your thoughts, I guess, on this little mini, you know, not mini, but this long road trip that sort of spans you know, mid-east and, and going west a little bit too? Yeah, I think this is a good road trip. Like you said, one, it kind of helps build up the chemistry and the bonding. But also, this is a road trip where they could win every single game. You know, like, it's not very difficult. Detroit's not trying to win a ton of games this season. Toronto, it's kind of unknown. Chicago obviously made some moves, and maybe that's the toughest game on the road trip. Orlando's tanking. New Orleans still has major defensive issues. And OKC isn't trying to win games either. So there's some easy ones that kind of help build confidence and maybe get guys some rest. Yeah, no, I, I think that this is... I'm always fascinated by... I look at more of what road teams do well. And I can't remember if it was the Phoenix Suns who were one of the best road teams or one of the best teams against you know quality opposition. But, you know, how... And now that the, the fans are back, it's going to be you know, a, a different environment for teams. Well, not different, but, you know, back to normal, quote-unquote, obviously. Hopefully there are some protocols in place that keep players, staff, and, and everyone safe at all arenas. But... You know, it's going to be hostile environments. And I think that this is me just projecting and, and what I thought last year, that I think last year the Nets were one of the teams that didn't care about playing in front of crowds because yep. if you look at the personalities of some of our guys, KD, Kyrie especially, those are the two guys that stick out. Just like, guys just want to go out there and just play the game. They're not doing it for the, I think the words histrionics and all the, the fanfare, all of that, all of that sort of stuff. Whereas... You know, some other teams will will need that. They'll they'll feed off the environment, and that's where you know you see the upsets happen. You might see the Nets you know drop a game to New Orleans. You might see the Nets drop a game to Detroit here or there because you know it's 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 Cade Cunningham you know going on a streak. It's Colin Sexton like it was last year, even though there were no fans uh, in Cleveland. But this is where 
you know, the Nets, are, it's going to be a, a readjustment you know, of, of sorts because we heard at the end of last, the sort of say, or throughout the season, sort of, you know, Jeff Green and Katie say that it was just like, it was weird. But, and then the, when there was the reintegration of crowds again, back at Barclays, it was like, we had to get used to that. And they got off to that, you know, a little bit of a shaky start, you know, to start the playoffs because of, you know, the, the, the energy that is there when there is a crowd. So um, I'm fascinated to see how this does play out. As with so many other things, but, you know, just the, a little wrinkle to what is this new 2021-22 season. Yeah, I agree. I think especially with the young teams, like you said, Jack, it kind of energizes them at home and make them kind of, you know, more competitive than necessarily their talent level or their development. I think another thing for the Nets that, you know, you're watching this season is see, like, you know, when they got James Harden last year, they really didn't lose to a lot of bad teams. Like, you know, that happened more so in the beginning of the season before Harden got there. And I'm not saying, you know, Kevin Durant or K- uh, Kyrie's fault or anything like that. Just kind of how the team kind of developed across the season. I'm intrigued if they really want to be like one of these elite teams and just kind of set out the tone and just like start cooking these bad teams early on in the season and just kind of take care of business. And that was an issue for them at times last year, early in the year, is they weren't taking care of business. You want to end some of these games by the third quarter if you can and get that rest and really kind of just – have one of those like warrior s seasons from a couple years ago yeah i mean even the milwaukee bucks are at the regular season where they've been able to play you know their mvp 31 minutes and yep. he's winning all of the awards you know i don't think that it's gonna happen with james harden or kevin durant but who knows it could happen and i think that you you make a good point here because out of the all of the three superstars that we do have james harden is a guy that's, that will play eight all 82 games and will go out there and put up you know a 30 point triple double you know with his with his eyes closed yeah. and i think that we saw that you know obviously the phoenix suns game where, where games went out of reach but james, with james harden out there they aren't going to be he is going to want to win every regular season game it is going to matter um, like his life depends on it and i love that mentality that he has shown probably since, you know, becoming the main superstar in Houston. It's yep. it, it provides a level of value to to the product and it provides a level of uh, of content that we, we love to, to analyze as well. So I think that how the Nets treat this regular season, you know, it, it's going to be different mentalities across the board uh, and it no doubt will change as, you know, injuries like management, rotations, you know, all these little things happen here and there. But um, I think that, the way the Nets do start the, the season, I, I think they've got their principles in place. And, you know, I think it, it could even start the preseason, Nick. You know, we don't yeah. know. Obviously, it's probably that final preseason matchup where you get a bit more of a tune-up. But um, we'll be looking for all those things in the preseason, you know, against Minnesota, against the Lakers, against all these sort of teams. But, you know, even in the, the to start, you know, the first month or so where the Nets do stand, you know, the Nets are going to have the most attention of any team other than the Los Angeles Lakers, if not maybe more given the individual personalities and the, the hate that they get on uh, left, right and center from media pundits and, and casuals here and there too. So um, it's going to, I don't think the pressure is going to be uh, a factor at all for, for the team. I think that their, their mentality, you know, they're a vet team. They've got you know, Steve Nash, who James Harden has, has praised, you know, um, in, in recent pieces as well. But um, any more thoughts, Nick, before I, I throw the road trips at you that we do have uh, for this 2021-22 regular season? Yeah, just to add what you were saying, Jack, I think like you kind of hinted at, like going to the season, there's going to be more synergy just given they already had games together, even though it wasn't necessarily a ton. You just kind of expect things, even if it's just from the role players, like in James Harden, Bruce Brown, Blake Griffin and Kevin Durant, whatever it might be, a lot of just different things. And you expect them to come into this season a little bit better. But let's hit the next part of schedule. So, I mean, the road trips, Nick, I wanted to throw at you. This is by Chris Mulholland, who did a good job of sort of putting out all of the road trips that the Nets do have this season. So we obviously went through the one uh, just before. Their next road trip, obviously, in December at Dallas, Houston, Atlanta, and Detroit. Um, and there's one, two, three, four. They've only got five road trips, and we'll get to the strength of schedule in a little bit. Um, the next one happens in uh, around Christmas time. It's Portland, uh, the Lakers, and the Clippers. Uh, then in January, mid-January, January 17th, starting at Cleveland, Washington, San Antonio, and Minnesota. Uh, then in late January, just about a week later, it's Golden State, Phoenix, Sacramento, Utah, and Denver. So that's a bit of a tricky one as well. Uh, yeah, that Phoenix, might even be tougher than the Christmas one. Yeah, I mean, there's been a lot of... Uh, we can debate that, obviously. And then to end the season, just a little bit of a mini one. Not Nothing too tricky, obviously, mostly within the, the division. Uh, Boston, Charlotte, and Philadelphia. Nick, what is this tougher? What is the toughest road trip that the Nets do face um, this regular season? Yeah, I mean, you could say the Christmas one, but I think it might be the one where you mentioned. I think you said uh, Phoenix, Denver, Sacramento, and Golden State. Not in that order, but those four teams. 
for the order, just to recap, because I've said a lot of things, a lot of teams, it's hard to keep up. Golden State, Phoenix, Sacramento, Utah, and Denver. Yeah, It's basically some of the toughest teams in the league discounting those Los Angeles teams. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's arguably, you know, there's some top six playoff teams other than the Kings, who maybe they'll even be a little bit better than they have in the past this season. I mean, Utah's a tough regular season team. Same thing with Phoenix. Same thing, you know, Denver, depending on Jamal Murray. And we kind of expect a resurgence from the Warriors. So, And I think by that point in time as well, that Clay Thompson is is yeah. very likely to be healthy. And hopefully that he is, because, and obviously, you know, Kevin Durant Clay's going fun. back. Yeah, it, it, Clay, Clay's the best. You know, can't say nothing but good things about Clay Thompson. And and it'll obviously be the, the return of Kevin Durant. Obviously, we did see it. You know, without fans, but you're know, going back to to the new Chase Center. Uh, you know, we saw him in the hard hat, him in the the high vis. You know, actually at that site. You know, a couple of years ago, yeah. I guess now. So it, it'll be interesting to see. You know, how he is. You know, what the reception is for him. But that is a a really really tough streak, Nick. And I think it's also in a tough part of the season. You know, pre All Star break where yeah. you know you might get some niggles here and there, and maybe the Nets don't necessarily throw their their full gammon at that that sort of you know five game stand and it, it I would wouldn't be surprised if the Nets go two and three maybe one and four in that but I think that if they are healthy you know they're obviously favourites in most if not all of those games but Utah and Denver both challenging because of the the altitude as well you know in the regular season that's where Utah especially has their their home court advantage maybe greater than any other team. You know, obviously MSG with their, their home crowd now um, and, and the Lakers, obviously, you know, they, they pull a, a massive advantage, you know, in front of their fans. But that's that's a really, really tough one, Nick, because it's only two days after. You don't get a lot of, you know, uh, a, a lee, leeway from Sacramento to Utah. So that homestand, I, I agree. I think that that might be the toughest of the season. Yeah, no, definitely, Jack. I mean, like you said, in the regular season, Utah just seems to be substantially more successful for whatever reason. You know, maybe it's the grind. Then also with the fact that it's a road trip and you're more likely to be fatigued, not sleeping in your own bed. Uh, there's a, a back-to-back mix in there too. So it's like, okay, this is this is the grind. But we saw the Nets really do well on this road trip last year, and that kind of helped build them up moving forward. James Harden had some of those big games on some of these West Coast road trips. So I'm excited for it. And like you said earlier, they can kind of help build the team chemistry and synergy, just spending all that time together. And there'll likely still be COVID protocol. So it's not like you're going to be able to go out to the town and do what you normally do, you know, every single game. Hopefully it changes by then. But at this point, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? It's a, a really good point. You know, a whole lot of things can change in, in the coming months. And, you know, that one's in February, obviously. So we're yeah. still what is it, four, five, six months away from, from that bit um, happening. So, it, yeah, I think that's going to be a really, really tough one. And, you know, obviously it's not too bad of a stretch. You know, two really tough road trips, some mini ones here and there. I think that the way that it is balanced out and we can discuss, I guess, the strength of schedule in a little bit once we get into, you know, the, the final stretch of the season. But it's not all all doom and gloom. You know, obviously there are teams that face tougher stretches. But, Nick, the closing... Yeah, the Nets are also supposed to be, I think, also, like, we have to you know, step back for a second, the Nets are supposed to be the best team in the league or, you know, even more top three. So all these teams are looking at the Nets like, damn, that's a tough matchup for us to win, especially if all three play. So there's some of that too. It's going to be interesting. And then obviously you, some of these good teams want to prove that they're on the same level as Brooklyn. Yeah, no, and, and that's a really good point. And obviously when it comes to strength of schedule too, you don't face yourself. So it's <laughs> are the, the best helps. team. Exactly, exactly. So look, in... In saying that, Nick, the final stretch of the season. So I guess I'll go from you know around from when Charlotte is in in March 22. Of those final games, Nick, the only away performances are against Atlanta and New York, which is essentially you know you just get to sleep in your own bed too. So the final stretch of the season is Charlotte, um, Detroit, Milwaukee, Atlanta. Then they've got Houston, New York, Cleveland, Indiana. Sorry if I was a little bit paused there, guys. Um, but yeah, they of all those games, Nick, only two of them, Atlanta, not too far away either. Um, maybe uh, they have some lemon pepper wings and it gets a little bit tricky there. Uh, but they've also got New York, you know, just across the bridge too. That final stretch of the season, I think, is a real positive for the Nets to be able to go, okay, have we got our seed sewn up? Do we need to, you know, really fight for something here? 
I think it allows them, it gives them a sense of flexibility to, if they really want to attack that first seed or second seed or get some home court advantage, they can. Or if they are in a position where they can sort of rest some players here and there, load management, and they're in a position to do so, it gives them the flexibility to do that as well because they're going to be in their own beds for pretty much all of that stand. Yeah, and I mean, if they needed to win all the games, I mean, Milwaukee's the only one where you're like, okay, Milwaukee could come in there even if the Nets play a really good game and beat them. Atlanta, I feel like if they truly wanted to beat Atlanta, they could. So it gives, like you said, they can kind of control their own destiny. And that Bucks game could be the difference, you know, a tiebreaker. We saw it happen this year later in the season. It had some value to it. So I, I'm, that's a really good point, Jack. A lot of rest for them going into the postseason, which is going to be really important. Definitely, definitely. So I think that um, that's going to be... Yeah, uh, all the the little tidbits, and we've we've chatted about 15, 20 minutes already about the entire schedule, half an hour, however long it is. So obviously it's going to be fascinating to see how it all does play out. Our predictions and stuff will probably mean nothing in in the span of of, of days and the coming days and months. But We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shea Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shea Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dom- Dominic Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina Wine Mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Nick's, Nick, in terms of the, the returns, we'll, we'll jump into some of them. So um, Spencer Dimity, as we sort of touched on a little bit, comes back on October 25 uh, when the Nets will host the Wizards. Um, Karis Avert will be back four days later. So um, I, I think that uh, you might be booking tickets for that one uh, if, if you haven't already on October 29. Um, obviously, we did see the return and um, some pretty nice scenes with Joe Harris, Karis Avert. Uh, no, sorry, Kyrie Irving. So uh, I think the the way that Nets fans holding Karis Avert's regard, um, it is there is no no more loved former player probably right now maybe than other maybe Jared Allen. Um, and, and and speaking of that, we'll get to him. Uh, D'Lo will be back on December three um, when the Nets host Minnesota, uh, and Jared Allen and Torian Prince will be back on November seventeen. Um, uh, as well, and obviously if we want to chuck in a bit of Uncle Jeff action as well, December nineteen. So. Out of these, I might have probably just uh, answer my own question um, in my little analysis there. But what are you most looking forward to out of those games? Like, which ones do you do you need to go to? Which one do you want to honor? Uh, which which former players you want to honor the most? I just want to correct one thing, Jack. Torian Prince will actually return with D'Lo because he got traded to the T Wolves. Right, that is right. I, I, it's hard to keep up with where. Where Toy and Prince is, and and funnily enough, it is a Toy and Prince Tuesday, so I should have remembered that. Um, you know, as we're doing our little uh, breakdown here. Uh, I think for me, the Spencer Dewey return, honestly, because I think he's going to be the pettiest. You know, I think he wants to come in and beat Brooklyn. He wants to have a big game, 
And like we know Spencer, we've seen him play a ton of games. That could either be really good and he could have a 30-point outburst or he could play really bad. I think, you know, we saw Karras play against the guys last year have those moments. I think it's going to be interesting with Spencer because not that I don't think the, you know, essentially the departure was sour or anything like that. But Spencer's just the type of guy who was like, oh, the Nets didn't really go after me aggressively to retain me. I want to show them that, like, they should have. Yeah, no, I think that's... In, in, in a lot of respects, uh, we know the the pettiness of Mr. Dinwiddie. I'm sure yeah. that he'll be on Twitter and or Instagram, you know, cut leading up to that point. But we also know that he was a part of the recruitment of Kyrie Irving to the franchise. You know, yep. them spending time at, was it Harvard Business School or yep. or something along those lines in the offseason. So I don't think that there is any ill will. Obviously, the Nets, the way that Sean Marks handled the, the departure, allowing Spencer Dinwiddie to to get the bag, you know, as he's done with, you know, Karras, as he's done with Jared Allen, you know, a lot of the the former Nets, you know, don't hold any ill will towards the team, but I, I want there to be a little bit of spice to this action. It might not be like, you know, the hottest of chili powders, but might, might be a little bit of cayenne pepper when we do see Spencer Dinwiddie in the eye. Or, or maybe, maybe it'll be a fundraiser to for, for Spencer Dinwiddie that, you know, gets about $1,200 worth of Bitcoin oh. uh, your contract, you know, I got to throw. He didn't want to come on the buzz, Nick. So he is now the enemy. Spencer Dinwiddie, if you still want to jump on, we will. But um, we're not going to be as as hospitable this time around. We'll be uh, a little bit more hostile if you do jump on the buzz, my guy. And also, I think Spencer's like the type that, like, when the game starts, he doesn't really care as much, and he'll complain and talk and all that. And that could lead to something where it's just like someone tells him to shut up. Especially if it's like James Harden, they haven't never played together type of thing. So. I'm really interested in that one. I think, like, obviously, I, I love Karis, but I just think, like you said, there's a little uh, pepper. A little bit of pepper, and we all love the spice here on the Brooklyn Buzz. Now, we'll get to the nationally televised games, and is it an outrage that the Nets are third in nationally televised games, Nick, behind the Los Angeles Lakers at 42 and the Golden State Warriors at 41? And obviously, they are ahead of Milwaukee at 36, Phoenix at 34, Boston at 33, and our rivals across the bridge are getting a cheeky 29 for themselves as well. Yeah, I mean, it's I don't want to say it's super surprising. It's a little surprising. You thought the Nets would probably have 40 because, like you mentioned earlier, they have probably the most, like, player fans, if that makes sense. You know, just like people like to check in because they either love these, you know, Harden, KD, or Kyrie, or they hate them. Where you look at the Lakers, they probably probably have as much star power. But the Warriors, it's just kind of Clay's return. Steph Curry's been amazing. Draymond's not really quite you know a star anymore. I guess defensively he still is. So I'm surprised the Nets have less than the Warriors. But at the same time, it feels like everyone hates the Nets sometimes. So I mean, last year the Nets had 39. So I yeah. think that when we were doing our I think we might have mentioned that we thought that they would be in the 40s. I think we might have said 40 or 41. So, yep. I mean, it, 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 to be fair, it's it's more about the, the cloud and credibility that the franchise gets from this because – in all honesty, anyone who's got League Pass or anyone who has the yes, who has access to the Yes Network, will be watching Sarah, yeah. Ian, Richard, Michael Grady, and and the crew, um, if given any opportunity to do so. So, and for the breakdown of the of the games on on the networks, Nick, it's five on ABC, ten on ESPN, eleven on TNT, and twelve on NBA TV. So, I'm. For me, it's Yes Network all the way. We are uh, the Yes Squad. Now, nothing but Yes. We'll say no to national TV. Um, but in saying that, it's it's cool to get the clout, um, even if the, the purple and gold uh, and the blue and gold get a little bit more. Yeah, I think also you could look at it from another perspective. Is Maybe there's more anticipation of the Nets having blowout games where that's not something you necessarily want on national TV. And obviously, I think uh, there's like a little bit more juice between the Lakers and some of their matchups, and you could maybe say the same thing about the Warriors. So uh, at the end of the day, the Nets get flexed into five more national TV games by the second half of the season, and next thing you know, they have the most. And I guess in speaking of that, Nick, we sort of, I think we've discussed this a little bit on a previous pod too, but are you surprised, I guess as a general question, that the Nets don't have the opportunity to be on more and this wasn't broken up into two segments like it was last year? Or do you think that Adam Silver may have, might have had some pressure from the owners, from the um, from the stadium owners as well about, you know, all right, we need to get some semblance of, of solidity or solidify what's going to happen here because, you know, we've got some concerts happening now and we need to figure all that sort of stuff out. What are your thoughts, I guess, on getting the full A2 rather than, you know, the two sort of blocks that we got last year, which I did prefer too. I like that too. Uh, I think 
you know, it could be a contract thing where maybe they have to give these networks their dates before it happens because they have to plan their TV around these slots. So, I mean, it could just be easier for the NBA, and that's why they did it. That's probably, if you ask me, why it was done as one section instead of doing the two-block thing because now you have to worry about, you know, is there a spot on this network? Do they pick something else up? You know, let's get everything taken care of. And these these networks want to know when they have these games, and they're probably fighting for specific matchups. No, it's totally fair. It, it makes sense. And, you know, obviously uh, I'm not in the decision-making business when it comes to this sort of stuff. If someone wants to, you know, how, how much do you reckon the Nets would, would cost at this point in time? Nick? Because maybe we could maybe we could start a GoFundMe. Um, yeah. Maybe we could – look, obviously there's um, some Blue Wire pods that have really solid associations with their teams. And the Brooklyn Buzz obviously does its best to, to get there. But uh, in terms of the strength of schedule, Nick, obviously this is what I'm always looking at and um, we actually had a, a, a former OTG alum put out a tweet uh, about the, the strength of schedule and who has the easiest. And the top 10 are uh, from 1st to 10th. The Jazz, the Nuggets, the Hawks, the Nets at 4th, the Pacers, the Suns, the Lakers, the Bucks, the Sixers, and then the Mavs. Does this mean anything to you, Nick? Obviously, this is via, obviously, um, as well, Positive Residual, uh, which is a sports analytic website. Honestly, it doesn't really mean much to me because I think you always look at the strength of schedule before the season. You're like, oh, like, wow, this team just had a major injury and now they're terrible. Like, for example, you know, the Warriors two years ago when Steph Curry got hurt, that was an easy dub for everybody. The year before, if you looked at strength of schedule, that was one of the best teams in the league. And then also, I think some of these young teams could get better. You know, it's just there's so many unknowns that you really don't know. I think you look at strength of schedule more of like oh, we're finishing the season up. We have a playoff fight for, you know, the sixth seed or the first seed or whatever is going on. Who has an easier schedule you're remaining for the last 10 games rather than what it looks like in the preseason? Yeah, and as I alluded to, the top teams always have, you know, one of the easiest schedules because yep. they don't have to play themselves. Yep. And they are the best team. So it's like them, the Lakers, Utah. I remember last year, I think the Nets post, and when when the second lot of the schedule was dropped, the Nets had the, the second easiest and behind the Utah Jazz, obviously, again, the Utah Jazz had the best record, win-loss record at that point in time. So I, I think it means something, Nick. But like you sort of said, I don't think it's, you know, we, we read into it too much. I think what we were talking about with the, the road trips, you know, I think that the fact that they don't have to go on, you know, that West Coast road trip isn't five, six, seven, eight games or whatever. You know, obviously, not no teams can really have that. But I think that that's what matters in terms of, you know, getting your sleep right, you know, getting the naps on the plane, getting to sleep in your own bed, getting to go to your own strip club, whatever you want to do. Um, I think that's what matters the most. And I think that that's where I think about the strength of schedule a little bit more in terms of just the comfort level for the players, the coaches and the team. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely a statistic to take into account. But like you said, it's not the end all be all. No, not at all. Uh, in saying that, Nick, we've touched on back-to-backs, load management, all this sort of thing, and um, I, I saw some tweets out there, and I thought it would be worth discussing overall. Um, we had Brooklyn Nets 85 um, uh, of on Twitter, uh, BKN Scary Hours, uh, put out a poll. What would should the Nets back-to-back philosophy be? And he, the two options were play them all in one and then sit one or stagger the stars. What would you, if you if you did vote in this poll, Nick? What is your philosophy on the back-to-backs um, for the Brooklyn Nets? Yeah, I would definitely stagger the stars. Uh, I think playing them all in one, sitting them all in one, is just kind of like, you know, taking an L in the second game when you have three superstars. This is kind of the luxury, and I'm sure that like some of these super like some day, some back-to-backs like they're going to want to play. Like there probably is going to be a few where they actually do end up playing, but I think it would make the most sense to stagger them. You know, maybe it's Kyrie and KD and game one, and then the second game it's James Harden, or you get a combination of Harden and Kyrie and then KD by himself, whatever it is. You know, I think you, you probably prefer to keep Harden if you can, you know, have one of Harden or KD in any game. Not to say that Kyrie's not an elite player and can't win you a game, but those guys obviously I think are a, a, a little bit, Yeah, they're just better. And I think they're also better at making their teammates better too. You know I mean, I mean, we did... No, no, I, I hear you on that. But we also did see stretches, I think, from Kyrie this season, which was just his leadership on the floor. Yeah. I think went up another notch. So I... Whether it's I, I'm more confident if the the philosophy is to be you know Kyrie gets it I don't really care who it, who it is but I I do agree you know stagger the stars you know the Nets are one of only five sorry six teams 
to have 12 back-to-back. So they are in a, nice. a, a, an advantageous position and relates to the strength of schedule there uh, for them too. So I think that it'll be interesting as well. Uh, I'm, the one I'm watching the most is, you know, James Harden because James Harden is a guy that, you know, we've heard his trainers sort of say that he was robbed of MVPs. He wants to be the MVP, all this sort of thing. So if it comes to back-to-backs, you it, it'd be hard telling him, you'd be hard-pressed to tell um, the beard, all right, my, my guy, we need you to have a bit of a break here. Whereas, you know, KD, obviously, I think he sort of said last season, you know, I'll do whatever the team needs me to do. A, a lot more assimilating of, of what the, the coaches and the, the training staff want. I think Kyrie's the same. He might have his own little breaks here and there, um, whatever he needs to get the season going. So I think that that's one thing I'm watching, Nick, is do you think James Harden will play these back-to-back still? Do you think, you know, based off, you know, his desire to just be out there for all 82, a pure hooper mentality, or do you think that the he'll actually go, okay, um, I need to take a step back here, think about my health, I'm, I'm in my early 30s now, which, you know, isn't a bad thing. Turning into your 30s, ladies and gentlemen, is not the end of the world from a 30-year-old turning 31 in a couple of months himself. What are your thoughts, I guess, on James Harden and how it relates to these back-to-backs? Yeah, I think out of all three superstars, he'll play the most back-to-backs. I think that's a guarantee. Um, You know, they're going to be able to probably get him to rest for a few, especially if his workload's up or somebody else is, you know, they're playing in the game or whatever it might be. That's why I kind of think the bigger thing with Harden is trying to keep his workload and minute load down. It's going to be hard to get him to sit games. But those games definitely take a bigger toll on you if you're playing, you know, 40 plus minutes rather than if you get to play in the early 30s. And I think that should be a goal for the Nets this year is just kind of ease these guys throughout the regular season. Sure, there can be matchups where they do play 40, but you don't want that to be a regular thing. No. And look, in, in saying that, you know, James Harden for at least the largest part of his career for the past 10 seasons has been a leader in minutes per game. And, you know, obviously he's not James, he's not LeBron James. He's not playing, you know, all the way through to the finals and such. But, you know, I think that this little break could be beneficial. And, you know, in the next episode, we'll, we'll dive a bit deeper into some of his workouts. You know, we'll, we'll be Instagram sickos on the next podcast. But we, we touched on the... The win lost, Nick, and the Nets obviously do have the highest win uh, season total. And I think you said 55.5. It's 55 or 56.5. Let me just double check it quickly. But do you think that that is an accurate estimation by the, the bookmakers? Where do you think the Nets stand? Are they going to be the best regular season team? Um, do you think that they're going to win 48, 50, or 54 and a half by a Caesar Sportsbook? Sorry. Um, where the Milwaukee Bucks are at 53.5. Over, under, where do you sit with this line, Nick? Yeah, I think if, you know, I'm making these assumptions if everyone is healthy, you know, there obviously could be injuries. Uh, knock on wood, we don't want that to happen. But I think you you feel pretty good about the over. This is the best team in the NBA. They're the most talented team in the NBA. You know, they had a lot of success even with just James Harden playing last year. And I think, like I said, they want to come into the season and kind of set the tone and let everybody know, like, this is going to be something special in Brooklyn. And, you know, it's possibly the beginning of a dynasty because it'll be their first regular season together. So I think we could expect big things. Like, I I don't know if they're going to hit 60-plus, but would I be shocked? No. Yeah, there are only a few teams that I think can achieve that mark. There's probably five teams. And, you know, the Nets, the Bucks. I wouldn't discount the Sixers as a team that could probably do that. I think that they could get hot if Joel Embiid is healthy. And they find a Damian Lillard or a Bradley Beal. Obviously, the Lakers. Uh, and for me, Utah is just a really great regular season team. So I think that those are like the five or six that I think stand out. Funnily enough, Nick, I was just doing some quick math um, as, a, as a teacher does. You know, their win percentage last year was, you know, 66. And if we, and they went 48, uh, 48 and 24. If you forecast that for an 82-game season, funnily enough, it gets you to 54.6. So it's essentially what the line is right now. So there's yeah. they're not breaking any uh, any sort of, you know, records here in, in changing that. But I think that I would go the over. If, if the Nets are healthy, you can't help but not say it's a guarantee just because of just how dominant they were, even without their superstars out there. So, But at the same time, like we alluded to in our discussion about the philosophy, the back-to-backs, what does Steve Nash want to do? I don't think that the, the magic number of 60 is going to be something that they strive for. You know, I don't think they're, they're going to be like hammering home like the Golden State um, Warriors when they were going for the 73 wins and they did achieve that. So I think that the regular season doesn't matter as much to this team. I think what matters more is the behind the scenes, you know, the health of the players, the form of the team, the form of the role players, um, 
ultimately, as we sort of alluded to, and that what always matters, it is health. Mental, physical, spiritual, that is what matters. And if that means they win 53 games, so be it. If they win 65 games as a product of that, cool as well. I don't think it really matters in the grand scheme of things. No, I don't think so either. Obviously, the only thing that matters is winning a championship at this point in time. But I also think like the win total could be influenced by how good the bench is. You know, how good is the depth? Like, do guys step up? Do they get better? Is, you know, Cam Thomas able to contribute and have, a, you know, a scoring punch when the stars are out? You know, how good is Patty Mills in Brooklyn? Like, does Joe Harris continue to be, you know, an elite three-point shooter or maybe even be a little bit better during the regular season? I think there's a whole bunch of different variables. Also, not that the Nets run anything super complicated, but it's like second year under Steve Nash, just a better vibe for things. And maybe some of the new assistants can make some adaptions to the team and kind of push them to another level. So I think they definitely should be the over, you know, like I said, if everyone's healthy and then there's always a chance. But like you said, it's not really a like it doesn't matter. The, the Warriors lost the year they had the best record in the NBA. You know what I mean? So they had they set that record and then they end up losing the championship. And I guarantee you they'd rather lose. 20 more games in the regular season and walk away with the championship. So that's what that's all that matters. Doesn't mean a thing without the chip, Nick. But a guy that could help that bench a little bit, and here's a nice transition for you. Paul Millsap could certainly add something to that bench. And we did hear some rumors uh, via a Denver reporter that he is uh, he the team that he does uh, prefer is Golden State or Brooklyn. So Nick, in terms of the interest that he is drawing from the Nets. Um, what, I guess we can detect this from a couple of different ways. Um, and, and the person that did report it, by the way, was Mike Singer of the Denver Post. Obviously, you know, there was a battle with Golden State as well for Andre Goddard. There was a battle for Patty Mills. And obviously, the Lakers were in that too. What do you think Paul Millsap could add to this team? And why isn't he on the Brooklyn Nets already? You know, I think there are a lot of people sort of saying that, why isn't he on a team yet? He's probably the best available player yet to be signed. Maybe Avery, Avery Bradley's in that discussion too. But um, I guess we can attack this from a couple of different ways. Yeah, I think, you know, when you're a vet, there's no rush. Like, he wants to kind of make the decision, go through his offseason. Maybe he doesn't sign until after training camp. Who really knows? I don't think he's necessarily in a rush to make this choice. And in terms of what he can bring, it's just a veteran big. You know, obviously, he's undersized. He's a 6'7", 6'8", but he has some girth to him. He has some muscle and some strength. Gives you versatility. He's not as quick as he used to be. Not super switchable at this point, but still a solid defender that can switch it a bit. His three-point shot wasn't great last season, but years prior, he shot, you know, over 40%, over 35%. And, you know, he's just like a basketball player. Jack, that's something that you like to bring up a lot in terms of, like, being able to do things on the floor. He can dribble the basketball. He can pass the basketball. He can make a layup. He can hit, you know, shots that aren't just, like, in one specific role. And I think, like, you're not anticipating him playing a super large role. Maybe he just plays on the nights that Blake rests on a back-to-back. He plays big minutes or somebody's hurt. Like, he just gives Steve Nash another versatile piece that he could throw in the mix at, you know, more so I think a small ball five at this point, but occasionally could play the four. Yeah, I think small ball five is where he could provide the Nets a a real weapon and playing him alongside Kevin Durant, I think would be pretty goddamn good. And he might be better than Jeff Green defensively. And and I think that that's something where... I think he's better. Sorry to cut you off, Jack. I think he's better against bigger, stronger players, but I think Jeff is a little bit more mobile than uh, Millsap at this point in time. Don't disagree with that whatsoever, but at the same time, the Nets will be coming up against a lot of bigger, yep. stronger guys. Anthony yes. Davis, Giannis, Joel Embiid. Those are probably the three biggest, best superstars going around if you're discounting LeBron James. Um, but then you've got KD there for that. So I think that adding Millsap is a, is a no-brainer in my eyes. You know, Obviously, I think that he... I always talk about you know reliability and productivity. I think Millsap has that and does that in spades. Obviously, he is... We've spoken about him, it feels like every year in the offseason for the Brooklyn Bears. Very long time. Very, very long time. And it's almost surprising that he, he isn't a Brooklyn net yet. Obviously, 36 years old, you know, heading into his 16th NBA season. You know, but you can't necessarily expect the same level of production where he was an all-star in, in goddamn Atlanta. But at the same time, if you're looking back to you know a couple of years ago in the bubble, you know he had some really nice moments on, on Anthony Davis. And I think that that's where he would provide a, a heap of value to the Nets because he's a good rebounder too. I think he would fit so well offensively in a similar way to what Blake does you know, yeah. with the, the passing acumen that he does have. Um, 
you know, can just hit his own shot. You know, he's got a nice little uh, mid-range from the elbow, um, as well as from, you know, the, the corners too. Uh, he just does a lot of good things, as you sort of alluded to there, Nick. And I'm surprised he's not an NBA team. And um, if the it's so I, I feel similarly to, you know, Andrea Godala, Patty Mills, maybe to a lesser extent. I think that adding Paul Millsap would be a better add than adding Andre Iguodala. I'm not sure how you feel about that, but I just think he gives the Nets more what they need. And maybe, you know, Andre Iguodala provides more for Golden State and the behind the scenes. But I think as an on-court fit, Paul Millsap would be a a more ready-made fit in the system with the Nets than he would with Golden State. But I also do think that, you know, playing him and Draymond together would be um, a lot of fun defensively, offensively as well. I think he would be just a really nice, seamless IQ fit with the system that Steve Kerr likes to run. So I'm not sure, Nick. I, I'm I'm surprised he's not on the team, but I'm, I'm hoping soon enough we're doing an emergency Brooklyn buzz and going for 45 minutes talking about Paul Millsap. I think Millsap complements the Nets better than Iguodala. You know, like just the skill set fits in more and he feels more of a need. Like, because he's a physical guy and he can rebound the basketball. And that's something the Nets have struggled with in the past. So, like, he might not be the tallest guy, but he provides some physicality, which can be needed in the postseason. And I think for him, you know, Brooklyn, he's not going to have as many minutes or as many opportunities to probably play. But in Golden State, he's probably going to load, you know, log bigger minutes, have a bigger role with that team. But I think it's the Nets have a substantially better chance at winning a championship than the Warriors just because of the whole Clay Thompson situation. And honestly, Draymond's offense is not very good, and that's detrimental at times. Yeah. Look, one thing I wanted to discuss, because there was a bit of a back and forth on Twitter. It was started by Nets Daily, and this is what um, they tweeted out. This is what Bob tweeted out. At this point, with all the veteran presence and leadership the Nets have from KD to Patty to Kai to James to DJ, I'd prefer the Nets sign a development project at center power forward rather than a 35 year old 36 year old uh, with defensive issues neither are going to get more than 10 minutes on average anyway do you agree with those sentiments nick i do not agree with those sentiments obviously we just saw the nets draft a couple guys they still have nick Claxton on the roster you know it's not like bruce brown is super old same thing with javon carter like when we've dug uh, we dove into the rookies very deep on the last episode so I'm I'm all for getting Paul Millsap because I look at it from this perspective. Yeah, you could get a, uh, you know, I think he's probably talking about like Isaiah Hardenstein or somebody like that. Or Harry Giles or something. Or Harry Giles. And like, no, those guys will probably not be able to play minutes in the postseason. Like if you get dealt with an injury, Paul Millsap can play playoff minutes and you don't feel terrible about it. Yeah, he's not the same guy he once was, but he knows what he needs to do out there. Yeah, and he's played for a really good team. Denver have been yeah. like a really, really awesome team. Um, in in seasons of late, so I, I don't I I understand the the want to to get a project player because obviously there is a, a high upside for guys like you know Damon Sharp and Harry Giles and Isaiah Hartenstein, but like you alluded to Nick, what the Nets need most is reliability, productivity in the postseason. We were bereft of that with injuries yep. and Joe Harris not performing. I mean, Nicholas Claxton being inexperienced at that point in time. DJ obviously being out of the rotation. You have Paul Millsap in last year's Brooklyn Nets team. You know, it's it's a marked upgrade. And that's saying something, that Paul Millsap would be a marked upgrade. So uh, I'm not sure where this comes from because you know, I, I think that when you are a superstar-led team and you have all the pieces you know, around you to win a championship, what you prefer to always add is the guy that you can give you something in a postseason performance, whether it's a bit of defense, a couple of possessions on a superstar player, a couple of boards here and there. Whereas, you know, as much as we love Nicholas Claxton, Nick, he got played off the floor at the most important times. And yes, we can debate whether you know that was the right or wrong decision, and we have to, to some extent. But Paul Millsap at least gives you the option. I don't think getting Isaiah Hartenstein, Harry Giles, or any of these other guys gives you the option to do that because they are auto, automatic liabilities. Um, and we know what they are to an extent too because we've seen those guys have been around the wings despite being young. Whereas, you know, Daron Sharp, Nicholas Claxton are still in the infancies of their careers. So I think that it's um, a little bit of a weird take from, from Ned Staley in that respect. Yeah, I think it would be the right take if the Nets didn't draft Dayron Sharp and Cam Thomas and have Nick Claxton and then also have the two guys on the two-way contracts or, you know, one possibly incoming. So it's like 
there's young talent that can be developed and turned into something down the road. You don't want that many young players that can't play because like you brought up, Jack, the Nets essentially ran out of players last year in the postseason that they felt comfortable playing in a big game. And, you know, sometimes that just happens as the postseason progresses. But Steve Nash really just had very, very limited options. Incredibly limited options. Um, and the Nets did pretty bloody well without it. Um, and hopefully they um, they don't have to play Kevin around 57 and million minutes in, in the postseason uh, come next year. But, Nick, a couple more ones I wanted to finish with. And we're going to have a, a big episode in the next one as well. We've got a lot of stuff to touch on. But the final two I wanted to touch in terms of roster composition, trades and such is, firstly, you threw this my way. I thought it was worth discussing as well is that apparently uh, the Memphis Grizzlies, according to NBA Central, um, uh, have Dylan Brooks and Kyle Anderson available for the right price. Now, I'm not sure what the price is via the Brooklyn Nets, whether it's Joe Harris and, and something else. But in terms of Brooks or Anderson, Brooks and or Anderson, Nick, um, I, I mean, I'm a big, big Kyle Anderson fan. I just, I think maybe some of the Dylan Brooks's Pat Beverly-esque stuff that he did on Donovan Mitchell was just a little bit um, gimmicky in my eyes, whereas I, I like Kyle Anderson, Nick. So uh, I, should the Nets trade for him? Would you like them to do so? Yeah, I think you've talked me into Kyle Anderson over the last two years. I thought last year he took a nice jump in his game too. You know, started to knock down the three-point shot at a better rate, more attempts a game. Like you said, with Dylan Brooks, not super interested, kind of a chucker, you know, needs to kind of be a too big of a piece to a team. And he, there's no role for him to do that on the Nets. And obviously he plays the guard position where I think the Nets are very well suited at this point in time, where Kyle Anderson gives you a forward and even a guy who can play small ball five sometimes. So I would be a big fan. I also think they're more likely to trade Kyle Anderson because of an expiring contract. They probably aren't going to pay him this offseason. Better price for the Nets, more likely to happen, and obviously fits into the trade exception too. So maybe it's a first-round pick. Maybe it's a combination of things. Who really knows? But I think it's more realistic given we saw these reports, and someone had brought it up on Twitter too previously that they saw reports earlier in the year. So if you see it for multiple months, it typically means that guy is really available, especially if the, at the right price. And if the Nets want to make a push for Kyle Anderson at some point this season, I think they can acquire. Nick, who's the better player right now, Kyle Anderson or Joe Harris? Uh, I think Joe Harris. You know, Joe is an elite three-point shooter. He does something at the highest level in the NBA. Obviously, he struggled in the postseason. You want to see him bounce back, and if that's something that he can do, or maybe that's just something he's going to struggle with. But I think Joe Harris is a better player right now, just given his consistency and his performance and the type of effect he has an entire game. No disrespect to Kyle Anderson, who I think is a good player, but Joe Harris is somebody that teams are looking at. How are we going to make sure this guy doesn't get wide open threes? Now we're committing a defender to sticking to him at the three-point line, opening up lanes where Kyle Anderson improved as a three-point shooter. He's not going to provide you that level of spacing. He's going to give you probably more rebounding and defense, but I think Joe's elite skill still sticks out more than Kyle Anderson's overall game. Fair point. But is he a better, uh, to throw another one your way before we get to a final one, is he is Kyle Anderson a better fit for the Brooklyn Nets, though? Because we saw last year, you know, Joe Harris really shine under the bright lights of the postseason, and he's done that, you know, the past couple of years. And it's not like the Nets uh, are lacking of shooting in terms of uh, that skill. Maybe they are if you do take away Joe Harris and you're relying on the superstars to do that. But is Kyle Anderson a better fit, Nick? Because you, you mentioned defense and rebounding. Every team needs that, especially a superstar team like the Nets, especially a team like the Nets that was struggling in those areas at different points throughout the season as well as the postseason. Yeah, I think you can make an argument that he complements the Stars better because he also plays in more of a position of need where Joe Harris is kind of playing up at small forward or shooting guard wherever he's typically playing, where Kyle Anderson would be you know, a small, small forward or a power forward regardless, kind of versatile with Kevin Durant. So that's an argument that definitely could be had. I still think in a trade, especially given Joe Harris is locked up long-term, that Joe Harris carries more value. That's totally fair. Totally fair. Well, I guess I was, I, I'm still a Joe Harris stand, Nick. You know, I wasn't feeling it, it right there, man. No, I hey, hey, look, hey, I have to be clickbaity host, Stephen A. Smith. You know, There's a spot, uh, I think, on first take now, so maybe I'll take Max Kellerman's spot. Um, they need a, a smart white guy to go alongside. I got to bring up Mason. one thing, though, Jack. I meant to bring this up earlier. I saw someone say, like, oh, Jack's no longer a Joe Harris fan. And you're like, I still have love for him. And it definitely felt like you're talking about an ex. That's just the vibe <laughs> that I got. I was like, yo, this definitely feels like an ex. You know, Patty Mills, Cam Thomas came in. Joe Harris is down to the side. Look, I've got 
I think a lot of people uh, are aware, especially Book and Buzz listeners, of my personality and the irrational overexuberance <laughs> that I show towards these Nets players. And I've got a big heart, Nick. I've got a lot of love to give. And to all the 15 guys in this roster, my heart is theirs. And um, it just happens to be that one has, an, has a bronze medal for my country. So I can't help but feel like, you know, Paddy Mills has the, the strongest love and uh, most of my heart has to go towards him and the fact that Kevin Durant's hugging him and they're talking about, you know, next season. Um, look, a big heart, Nick, big, big heart. But, you know, a, a guy who would feel a big, big need, two guys that could feel a big, big need. I'm doing well with this hosting and segue sort of thing. I think JBT sort of put me in a, a good frame of mind for this. But you got a, a message from Portsnick uh, on Twitter. Uh, a really interesting question, Nick. Uh, Larry Nance or Maxi Kleber for the taxpayer um, exception? Obviously, we have no idea if these guys are available, but we do maybe know that Larry Nance could be available. Um, I don't totally buy into that, but uh, purely fit-wise, uh, Nance or Kleber? I think Larry Nance is a better player, so I'm just going to go with him because they both kind of fit a similar need to an extent, but I think Larry Nance's overall impact on a defense is substantially more. Like, he has an impact on the team defense where Maxie's, you know, a good defender. He's had some success in the postseason, different matchups. He's also got cooked at different times. He can block a shot or two. But I just really like how Larry Nance just kind of fits in a defense and complements guys and just can kind of, like, even just looking last year on the Cavs, they look like a different team when he was healthy early in the season in comparison to we saw them later on. And I think three-point-wise, they both shoot a similar percentage or they shot, you know, over the last season, nothing too crazy. I think Larry Nance just kind of just hits it more for me. Maybe I just have a little bit of bias here, but it's the it's the jet ski, Nick. You know, you're riding it, you're riding it hard, and you know, you'll be riding it uh, in the honeymoon in the Bahamas as well. Hopefully, you just like put a bit of a Larry Nance sticker on it all. You call it your Larry Nance jet ski. Uh, but in, in saying that, I, I totally agree. One thing I will, you know, the argument for Maxi Kleber is, you know, the the value that he has provided that Dallas team with his defense, three point shooting, his ability to play the five. Um, has been immense. And I think a couple of years ago, some of the defense he played on Kawhi Leonard as well, yeah. um, I was really, really impressed with. So you get a level of flexibility to play him on a wing as well as bigs. So I, I'm, I, I think he's taken a bit of a step down, whereas I thought Larry Nance was a bit unlucky not to make an all-defensive team this year. You know, obviously, um, you know, it's a pretty hard hard spot to crack. There's a lot, a lot of games. Of- did miss a lot of games as well, but you know, like you mentioned, the the, the Cavs with Larry Nance on the floor um, were were really really good um, in terms of you know the numbers, defense, all that sort of thing. So um, the Larry Nance jet ski is is riding hard. As soon as I get out of this uh, goddamn lockdown in Melbourne, I'm heading down to the bay, getting on my Larry Nance jet ski, and I'm going to say hi to Mobius, and we're going to have a lot of fun and and chat about. Uh, chat about this as well. Let us know your thoughts on, on any of the stuff that we've discussed here. You know, if I was to throw Dylan Brooks, Carl Anderson, Larry Nance, Maxi Kleber on a plate, Nick, or they're against the wall, and you can only pick one, you're Sean Marks, you know, discounting money, trades, whatever. Um, who do you add to this roster as a final question? Yeah, I think I'll probably go with Larry Nance. I just think he fits a lot of needs, and he is just like a really good complementary role player, and he was on a bad team, so I can only imagine how good he would look on a team like Brooklyn, and I think his versatility kind of strikes. And, you know, maybe Max is a better on-ball defender, especially with, like, wings, but I think, like, again, I think his overall defense for Larry Nance is somebody could bring some communication to the team as well. I think the scariest thing with Nance is he's just missed a lot of games in his career. You know, he missed a lot of games last season, going back to the L.A. days. You know, there's some games missed, too. So it's just like, can he stay healthy is going to be something to keep a concern of. But probably second, I don't know. Who would you go with on second, Jack, if you have Larry Nance one? Unless you have someone different. Probably Carl No, I have Larry Nance as one, too. Um, I will give you a little bit of a Larry Nance story before diving into the rest of them. But, you know, uh, for those that haven't heard or just joining the buzz at this point in time, when I put out, you know, a tweet about Jared Allen and how awesome he was and for Cleveland to take care of him, my guy Larry Nance said he that, that they will. So um, the heart on that guy as well. I've got a big heart, Nick, and um, yeah. it's it's got plenty of room for that 6'10 forward center as well. I mean, also, one of the few games, uh, Nets games that I've been able to see across uh, my life uh, was against the Los Angeles Lakers when Larry Nance absolutely murdered Brooke Lopez. I was in the fifth row. I had really, really great seats. Um, and it is a moment I will never forget because it was just shocking 
to see that level of athleticism. Obviously, this was three, four years ago now. Um, but at the same time, that was immense. And it was cool to see Brook Lopez after the game sort of like, you know, ribbing him a little bit and be like, my guy, don't do that to me. Um, but in saying that, two Anderson, three Kleber, four Brooks. Yep. Same thing here. I think Kyle Anderson provides some nice versatility too. And he's been... I've had a bigger role probably with Memphis over the last couple of seasons, or you could say the same thing for Maxi. but I just kind of like Anderson and what he can do. And he also is a bucket getter. We know how much Katie likes that. He might do it in slow motion, but it's something he can do. Straight buckets. Maybe not a trans. He might not be running the fast break. Um, with Only Euro steps. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's got nice footwork and just yep. composed smooth. Uh, but Nick, I don't know how we got like 65 or so minutes on a, of a podcast, just talking about a goddamn schedule and, you know, a couple of trades and trade rumors and, and roster rumors, but we've done it. We've done it again. Jack, one more question. Obviously, if the Nets did sign Paul Millsap, it would likely lead to uh, releasing Alizé Johnson to open up the roster spot. Maybe not exactly in the point in time, but probably before the guarantee date. Is that something that'd be fine with you? I know that's been a debate among some Nets fans. Uh, I think it sort of relates to the discussion we had in, in talking about, you know, young players versus Paul Millsap. Yeah. And I, I think you just copy and paste the thoughts that you and I had there and you put it here. Now, we didn't see uh, if we if we had seen more from Alizé Johnson at Summer League, you know, we had seen that three ball pop a little bit that it's just like, OK, this guy's a, a wing. He, he's like a Kyle Anderson type in terms of a wing that can shoot threes, um, shows good energy. Obviously, he's a good athlete. He's a really good rebounder as well. But I don't think he does enough in terms of the fit to be like, okay, we can't do this. Whereas, or he's not like, or a really young prospect like Darren Sharp or Cam Thomas. Yep. So I, I, as much as I love Alizé um, and I love what he's been doing in the community and, and, and the leadership that he provided during, during Summer League, um, it, it's a no-brainer in my eyes, Nick. Yeah, I agree, Jack. I think Alizé just obviously isn't polished enough to get those playoff minutes or he would have gotten them last season. And I don't think there's like going to be a drastic jump in his game. So I agree. I think you'd go with Millsap because like what you talked about and what you said, Jack, you know, it's players in the playoffs. And Millsap's a guy that could probably play in the playoffs. You know, obviously he could take fall off a cliff with his age, but I think he's a good enough and smart enough player where he can maintain some of his skill level and be out there for a few minutes. No doubt. All right, Jack, I think that wraps it up. Always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. And check the buzz on all streaming platforms. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.